Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 28th of May 2014. I'm Phil Hinton, thank you very much for joining us for episode 44. Guys, we haven't even reached a year yet, this is depressing. Well, at least we're coming into summer again now. I remember when we started it was early July, and the sun was shining and the nights were long, or rather the days were long and the nights were short. Yeah. And, um, we're just getting towards that again now, so... Yeah, and un- unbearable heat, which is what's happened tonight. I've had to switch off the, the fan heaters. I'm starting... Christ, you're always moaning, aren't you? Uh, joining me for this edition, as you've already heard, is assistant editor Steve Withers. Swim with the fishes, you zombie bastard. Games editor Mark Botwright. Stealing shoes off a dead man. And audio reviewer Ed Selly. Oh, I'm dead. The sun is setting. Just lay down and throw some dirt on me. Okay, so uh, moving on swiftly from uh, last week where uh, we obviously said that the World Cup is coming up, and it is. Uh, It's getting closer every week, funnily enough. (laughs) So, World Cup projector shootout, Steve. Um, We're looking at big screen here. It used to be in the past that you went down the pub and you watched the football on a projector that was in the pub. Uh, usually that projector was caked with dust and all the rest. It had been running constantly for uh, 24 hours a day for weeks on end and the picture looks terrible. But nowadays projectors, certainly in the home, offer picture quality that's just as good as a flat panel TV and a lot larger. I'd actually go as far as to say that a lot of projectors offer performance that's better than most televisions. Um, and certainly, as you said, Phil, much bigger. I mean, TV sizes have been getting bigger over the last few years, of course, but the average size is still only, what, 42 to 47 centi- um, forty-two to forty-seven inches in di- diagonal, which is still not that big, really. I know probably amongst the enthusiasts listening to this, they've got much bigger screen sizes, but the average screen size is still reasonably small. However, if you buy a projector, you can have, you know, 10 foot, 12 foot, really big, whole wall, basically, uh, as your TV screen. And people often think, well, you know, it's going to take up space and it's going to cost a lot of money. But in actual fact, A, it won't take up a lot of space. And you can buy some really good projectors now that are quite small, that can be sort of put away and then brought out for the big events. Uh, you can use the wall, frankly. If you had a reasonably flat white wall, neutral white wall, you could use that as a screen. It's not ideal, but it yeah. will work. And um, the price is dropping like, like a stone recently and you can pick up some really good projectors now for less than a thousand quid so significantly less than you would pay for you know even a, a relatively small high-end tv these days you can get a projector so no i, I think going the projector route now makes a lot of sense particularly as you say phil with the world cup coming up yeah you get your mates around big screen you know you've got your surround sound on you get in the beers it's going to make a really good atmosphere and it'll make it so much more enjoyable. I mean, it'll be more like actually being there, but without all the grief of actually having I, to go to Brazil. I can see some enthusiasts turning their nose up here with, with what you're saying, Stephen. I just want to make it perfectly clear that what we're saying here is we're not talking about optimum setup for watching movies in a darkened room with no, 5.1 surround sound. We're talking about event stuff like the World Cup, like uh, the Commonwealth Games that's going to happen in Scotland, which is a laugh. Um, this is all happening uh, with the Olympics two years ago. If you have uh, family around and that kind of thing, you can have a big event picture using these projectors. And we're only talking about stuff that, you know, I think the most expensive one on your list was £2,000, Steve. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not. I'm not talking about a high-end home cinema setup here. I mean, obviously, you could use these projectors for watching movies and other things, and, that, and, and ideally, I suppose you would have movie nights, that kind of stuff. But specifically, what we're talking about here is trying to create a, you know, a big event for um, specific sporting events. So, you know, ideally, the World Cup, as you said, the Commonwealth Games, or anything else that's coming down the line, like Rugby World Cups next year, for example. So, you know, you get all your friends around, you put the projector, you turn it on, and you plug in the HDMI cable into your um, PVR, whatever you've got, 
and away you go. You've got big screen action, you know, 1080, 1080i um, feed going up onto a big screen. It's going to look really good. I mean, even you know, with their very basic setup and some of the cheaper projectors, it can still look quite quite impressive. And I guarantee it will look better than most of the pubs you go into because, as you just pointed out, Phil, they're usually left up there for years, badly set up, the bulb's dying. Um, you know, it's never going to be ideal. Uh, and you haven't got to put up with crowds and expensive you know, drinks. I saw one once where it's an LCD and it had obviously been on 24 hours a day for years and it burnt the actual panel. So there was nothing <laughs> in the middle of this panel. It was just yellow. There was but, no, isn't that, no but isn't that strangely fitting for an England game? <laughs> well, that's another reason why you don't want to fly away to Brazil, is it? Because you'll be an expensive way to go to be flying back again in a week. I do um, agree that it isn't it isn't a proper pub uh, sort of experience unless when they kick the ball it actually produces a solid white line behind it just there's so much <laughs> lag and blur like so, something else tron lag yeah. blur wrong aspect ratios everyone's like squished or or tall and thin um, um, and in the old days, of course, you always had the, be- the beam going through a layer of hazy smoke, <laughs> which was really added to the cinema experience. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the list I've, I've produced for, for the article isn't um, exhaustive, obviously. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of other projectors and certainly plenty of other cheap projectors, but this is based upon ones we've recently reviewed. Um, and the idea was to come up with a, with a, with a few ideas for projectors that would give good performance for a good price, um, ideally convenient and, and easy to install. Um, so obviously, you know, we're not talking about blacked out rooms, blacked out windows, all the rest of it, Steve, but, you know, making little adjustments here and there use, when using a projector, um, like the type of paint that's on the wall, if you're going to use the wall as your screen, will help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, as I said, I mean, it's not ideal, and I'm not saying enthusiasts would do this, but you can use a, a white wall a, a, as a screen. And it is quite, I've got a friend who's using one right now. Um, for various reasons, and it's surprisingly effective. As long as the wall's, you know, flat, there's no obvious distortions on the wall, and you're using, um, well, basically a matte white paint. I think zinc oxide is the, is the suggested uh, it's a suggested paint, isn't it, Phil? Is it zinc oxide sunblock? Well, it's, it's, it's um, this, was, well, this, this was a suggestion that was made on the TA, one of the THX courses, was um, if you're doing an install to use zinc oxide paint. All right, never heard of uh, that before. It's usually a matte finish, so you want to go for a matte, well, yeah, a matte finish. finish. You, you don't, you don't on want the a plus finish. side, your room would be impressively corrosion-free. <laughs> In the event of a nuclear blast, it will survive as well. And you might Ooh. too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, so obviously that's a picture side. We'll come back to it in a second. Uh, but obviously, uh, with this big picture, we want big sound. So, Ed, what can we do in terms of big sound? Well, uh, you've got a couple of options. Um, the, I mean, the easiest one... Um, in this day and age, uh, is um, you've now got ooh, roughly two or three million soundbars to choose from. Um, it is the, you know, next to headphones, it's the unquestioned growth area in the market. Um, over the last sort of month, few months, uh, Mark and Steve have been looking at quite a few of them. Uh, I mean, one that I have some experience of uh, due to still working in the background for, for Cambridge Audio. I've, I played about with the Minx TV, which I think is, what, £150? Um, and again, it, it's it's not the most sophisticated device I've ever played with, but it's more than capable of filling a room and, and making sure that every syllable of the unbelievable banality that is football commentary will, <laughs> be, uh, will be audible to, to all comers. Um, obviously, if you want to uh, step it up a little, uh, both Steve and I have been looking at uh, wireless active speakers in the last couple of weeks. Um, Steve looked at a very tasty pair of Dynaudios um, and uh, a review that went up 
Well, they've gone up a little while ago by the time. Yes. Um, the Ellipse on uh, Planet LWs and their new little wireless bridge, which allows you to, uh, as I've been literally just been doing over the review, slam your skybox or PVR straight into the back of that. And um, because they are, they're not wireless in so much as they do need a plug, I need to stress that. But the Dynaudios and the, the Ellipsons, they, if, again, if we're talking about sort of temporary event setups, you can literally park them anywhere. Um, and they'll talk to their base station, and and they just get going. And um, I have to say, it's it's quite quite slick on, uh, as an experience, and it, it means it gives you a bit of flexibility that you didn't previously have. I mean, if you're feeling really bold, do, I mean, I've, I was trying to work this out. How far behind are the Brazil games? How, how what's eight the time hours. zone difference? So it should be dark. Oh no, hang on, no, it's not eight hours. It's five hours, isn't it? Five because hours. they're on the east side of the continent, so. You see, because if it was properly dark, I was just thinking, just go the whole hog, put it in the garden, blow it up onto the side of your house. Yeah, <laughs> that's one way of doing do, it. Could do that. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, have a barbecue at the back. And, you know, by the end of it, you can be inebriated, you can have alienated all of you your neighbours, you could have had a really, really, really good <laughs> evening. Yeah, you could play along. You could cause a riot. <laughs> I won't be held responsible for anyone trying this and getting an ASBO, but I honestly think it's got to be worth a go. Someone who's got either understanding or no neighbours, please, over the World Cup, let, let's see if you can do al fresco. Like those, when they show like films in the park, you can yeah. just do a tiny version Steve, of it. I Steve mean, would have to try and focus them on the sheep and hope that the sheep <laughs> don't move around in the field. No, right, Steve? I could, be, I could project it onto the side of the house. That's you, I might give that a go, just for a laugh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, it's I, a valid point you raised there, Ed, which is that I mean, depending on what time the get kickoffs are, if it is say the after or even early evening, because it's going to be summer and it's going to be getting dark late. Obviously, um, you know, one of the things you need to do as best you can is block out any light. Um, and one of the easiest things to do is just to put some blackout. Now, you haven't got to buy blackout blinds, but you, you can easily get curtains or have your curtains have a, a blackout lining added to them, which you know is just white. I mean, but it blocks the light. And that can make the room a lot darker. I mean, when, I mean ideally, you want to make the room, you know, if you if you can, as dark, you know, some of the objectives that I've recommended are quite bright, which is very handy in rooms with, say, light-coloured walls. But the idea is to make the room as dark as possible because the darker the room, the more impact the image is going to have, basically. And if you are a dangerous sexual predator like Steve, that also gives the advantage to uh, put the moves on that special lady or gent if you invite them along to your World Cup evening because she can't see what, what's coming on when you're uh, in, in, in your darkened space. I have had a few uh, comments along those lines when people have walked into the home cinema with black velvet walls. <laughs> is that shortly before you hit them over the back of the head and the fun begins. <laughs> yeah. why, is the, why is there a bolt on this door? <laughs> why are there hooks on the ceiling? No reason. They were there when I moved in. Right, okay, so we've set up our projector or our TV. Uh, we've got our sound system working. We want to get the best picture possible. In that case, then you want to head over to our Picture Perfect campaign. So if you've got the menu at the top of AV Forums, Click on Home AV, and within that menu, you will see Picture Perfect. You click on that, or you go to myperfectpicture.tv, which will take you directly to Picture Perfect, and everything in there takes you through how to set up your picture, and it will take you about five minutes to do it. It won't take very long at all. Just get the correct picture mode, Steve, and yeah. uh, you're good to go, basically. Aspect ratio correct, and that's it. Yeah, it's very easy. Um, you know, take you five minutes, as you said, Phil, um, and hopefully as many people possible possible will, will will do that because and from the Mori poll that we did two years ago, we know that the majority of people, you know, take their TVs out of the box and just leave them in the mode that they're shipped in. And unfortunately, in ninety nine point nine nine percent of the cases, 
that's uh, one of the worst possible modes you could leave it in, usually it's something like dynamic, where you've got a um, picture that's way too bright, far too oversaturated in terms of colours, uh, with all the um, special features and inverted commas on, turned on. And um, yeah, so go to picture perfect, and uh, within five minutes you'll have an a infinitely superior TV image. Right, and the final thing that we need to talk about is uh, frame interpolation or having uh, the processing turned on on a TV or a projector. And this is the one time where I'm possibly going to say you want to experiment with this and it might be that it looks better leaving uh, that picture processing turned on uh, because we're talking about fast-moving sports, we're talking about balls moving across screens and so on. So, so when it comes to things on your TV or projector such as motion plus, motion flow, true motion, intelligent frame creation, active motion or whatever else uh, is called on your device, it'll be something like that with the word motion in it. Uh, basically what it does is it, it creates new frames, uh, looks at the frame before and the frame after and then it tries to decide what uh, an imaginary frame in the middle would look like and it creates that itself Steve and we would always turn that off for film material because it makes it just look really odd uh, but for football it can work. Yeah absolutely right Phil. Um... By adding the extra frames, you know, it gives it a sort of smoothness, um, which obviously with film material just looks unnatural and looks more like videos. So never use it for that. But if you're watching fast-moving sports action, it can be quite handy. Depends on your TV, really. If you've got a plasma TV, you don't really need it because plasmas have got good response times and they're really fast, good with ha good with motion handling. But um, if you've got an LCD TV, LED LCD TV, then then you might find it could be beneficial. Um, with projectors, same kind of principle, really. If you've got a DLP projector. Probably won't need it, but uh, if you're using uh, an LCD or SXRD or DILA projector, then you might find it useful on those as well. Okay, so we're all set up. We've got our picture perfect, and we watched the game. We still want to use. We still <laughs> we're crying we're now, crying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, crying because England are out. But Mark, we can use this system for more than just watching football. We could actually play football. We could play FIFA and so on by hooking up our game system. Yep, um, perfect way to kind of reenact things and to try and wipe uh, Roy Hodgson's tactics out of your mind. Uh, replay everything, try and get England out of the group stage. Yeah, a little bit of drunken FIFA on, on a projector is the perfect antidote. Uh, right, so Ed, um, what do we need? Obviously, we've, we've not got Mark here for the snacks, but I know that you're um, an alcoholic. So what do we need for a drink? I'm a high-functioning alcoholic. I need to be very clear about this. I, you know, at the moment it hasn't had any significant impediments on my work or health. That, that's for later on. But um, really, uh, first and foremost, I, the AV Forums podcast is still looking for an, an official beer sponsor. So um, your name here, if anyone wants to step forward. But really, we, you know, if, if we're feeling a small surge of patriotism, you could just work on the principle that 99% of lagers, even if they, they purport to be from a different country, are brewed somewhere near Northampton anyway. But I, I think that that's possibly a, a little sort of short-sighted. You want a decent session British beer, um, for the, the support of our national team. Um, within that, that, there comes some problems because essentially beers brewed in this country fall into two categories. There's ones which you could drink, well, effectively your bladder will explode before you actually feel any sense of inebriation. Or there's ones that will make you go blind uh, well before half time. Uh, so it's a bit of a balancing act. But uh, I would say... 
I've been thoroughly enjoying the output of the uh, of the Badger Brewery, which is not a million miles away from Mr. Withers, in fact. No, it's not, in fact. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you, uh, I mean, you know, trying trying to trying to spur spur our na- our national side to greater success, if you went for the uh, the Golden Champion, uh, most supermarkets will normally do you a reasonable three for a fiver offer. Um, and it's the right balance between enough to give you that sort of warm haze and deluded self-belief that our national side might do something other than crash and burn without at the same time leading to blindness, madness, insanity or violence towards your significant other. Uh, that I mean, that would probably be my choice unless, of course, um, you know, someone wants to sponsor me to say something wildly different, in which case I don't care which country it comes from. Just I'll, I'll endorse it. Um, I'd like to interject sorry, for a second. If you want an alternative to beer, a drop of West Country cider is always good. I, yes. I recently, I recently sampled something called Black Rat last week. Its, tagli- <laughs> its tagline was "Beware, it bites," and this stuff was lethal. <laughs> Two pints of that, and you were absolutely bollocksed. Um, well, you, you see, really- I mean, that's the problem with you West Country folk. Obviously, life is so slow and depressing down there that ev- everything's brewed at sort of. Yeah, it, it doubles as as, as, a, as a decent sort of you know cleansing agent um, for anyone interested in apple based product, which which <laughs> won't 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 automatically kill you. Um, on the other side, uh, in in Kent, the uh, Aspals, um, the Aspals cider company, they make one. It's it's maddeningly hard to get hold of, but it, it's it's called Harry Sparrow. And as a session cider, by which I mean one that you could drink contentedly for an evening and not die, it's it's bloody marvellous. Really, really good. And if the weather is is pucker over the over the World Cup, which is never a given in this country, that would be would be a fine choice. But I don't know. Um, I can't be the only person where uh, cider it's still ruined by sort of formative teenage experiences well, it's, it's it, mis- like Mr. three litres of Strongbow <laughs> <laughs> Mr Botwright is, is actually inside a country at the moment are you not? Indeed I am, you've got to go for a little bit of proper cloudy scrumpy Yeah, it's it's got to look you know, if you can actually see through it, it's not alcohol in my view it has to be a, a, a basically has to be a flat viscous fluid yeah, exactly. If you're not chewing, it's not it's not cider. I actually think there may have been bits of rat in that black rat cider. Are you sure that wasn't just like some kind of rat poison? <laughs> well, it, it certainly would have killed a rat. <laughs> then he killed me. So anyway, in summary, what we're saying is throw something together to watch the football on, whether it's a TV or projector. Most important thing is the beer or the cider. <laughs> as, as for the snacks in Mark's absence, packet of crisps should do it. <laughs> Pork scratchings, come on. Pork scratchings, on. yeah. yeah. yeah if you flash, you can get some prawn crackers. <laughs> oh, and a packet of twiglets. I love, I love a packet of twiglets every now and then. Yes, but in all seriousness, there's lots that we can do uh, to make the World Cup better. <laughs> well, because the England team <laughs> certainly aren't. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the main point there is how to get yourself inebriated and passing out as quick as possible. So there you go. I would say that one advantages of projectors, of course, is that they don't obviously produce sound, uh, with one or two random exceptions over the years, which does mean uh, that if you want, you can just do the full pub thing and you can have the game on and then you can just listen to some quality tunes instead. And uh, nine times out of ten, that's going to be far more rewarding than the commentary is. Yeah, um, no, you want to stream foreign always- commentary. Oh, no, no, that's, that, that, the that's, best. A, that's a viable alternative. I hadn't thought of that. But, I mean, I just don't... I mean, football punditry... You could always put uh, Five Live on the radio. 
Uh, it's all horrible, Phil. It's just, I mean, I, what... Enjoy listening to the wisdom of Michael Owen? <laughs> uh, just all of them. It's just, I mean, okay, you can do drinking cliche bingo, although that normally results in you being dead in the first 25 minutes. But I, otherwise, I, I can't listen. To, I mean, almost all sports commentary is banal, but football commentary is in a league of its own. It's just awful. Yeah, so this drinking game, is that every time they mention 66, you've got to take a swig? Uh, well, that's one of them. Um, Game of two halves, classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, if, if there was any problem there, perhaps he hit it too well. Yeah, that's mention, one I like. Uh, not not going according to the script. Uh, get, uh, get, get the in, final whistle. I always like get in and amongst them. Great future ahead of him. Um, oh God, you, the list the list is literally endless, and you can do different different levels of of consumption to to you know to represent the differing levels of cliche inherent to it. Oh, oh at the end of the day, although that said, if you do a serious drink when anyone says at the end of the day, uh, you'll be dead. You you won't survive the World Cup. Obviously, we're I mean, not we're not making any suggestions that people should do this. Uh, we're just saying what people can do and what people might do at the World Cup. We're not saying that people should do this i just want to be condoning drinking to excess for example are we i mean i don't have a full set of rules for this one i've got i mean my eurovision drinking rules have been set in stone for years but um yeah this this you just wing it make it up as you go along you have to be drunk to watch the eurovision i completely agree that's why (laughs) you couldn't do that sober (laughs) it doesn't stop the fact that i absolutely bloody love eurovision one of the hot television highlights of the year for me bar none loved it this year bearded ladies brilliant did you have it on the projector I don't have a projector. I mean, you know, having had Steve's derogatory comments about screen size, I had to just slum it with my 42-inch television. But um, equally, I was able to run it at barnstorming volume levels, you know, because well, I'm always more to be a sound a guy. Tagline from the 1998 version of Godzilla that we were talking about last week, size does matter, <laughs> particularly when it comes to home cinema. Or indeed Pacific Rim, which I see was getting another kicking in the comment section of the last podcast. Go big or go extinct. <laughs> yeah. I was defending it. That's all right. I can, I completely agree. As I say, you made, your 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 sentence there, Steve, absolutely perfect. It made no apologies about what it wanted to be. Amen. And that's the World Cup. <laughs> Don't bother watching. It'll be crap. Just get drunk. I'll watch it. The World Cup becomes better usually when England are out. The yeah. only thing I, I have to say, I do normally love a game where it's two countries that you just have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, the only thing there again is the commentary, and it's, oh yeah, he plays an Ashley Cole type role, or he's the, like the John Terry of the team. Shut up! What do he turns up fully clothed to find what he didn't play in? Most <laughs> World Cup delivery. Or he just, he just enjoys screwing various various <laughs> wives of people he knows. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> no, they usually throw up a couple of entertaining games, and I can remember vividly when Argentina got beaten by Cameroon. That was really good fun. Oh, the what when France were the defending champions in in two thousand and two, and they lost all their games and went out in the first round. That was particularly oh, yeah, enjoyable. Iran versus USA. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, actually, I've got to say the final of the last World Cup was wasn't a, a beautiful advert for the game. Was no, it? the Dutch. That, that was, <laughs> the Dutch they were, they were just trying to kick whoever they could, couldn't they? <laughs> yeah, at least they're not a bunch. Of <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that will make the edit. <laughs> <laughs> delete, delete, delete. <laughs> anyway, moving on. I do like chorizo sausages, though. I got sent this. Did anyone week. see the 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 uh, Michael Carrick tweet that people took the wrong way? 
No, tell us about on, that. The, uh, about the uh, singing session, singing section at uh, Old Trafford, did a hashtag, get amongst it, which when you break it down into words, some people took the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> and he had to reply saying, some people have taken what I wrote the wrong way. <laughs> Uh, right, okay, uh, let's wrap up on some... <laughs> this is the hardware news section. <laughs> We've talked about beer and uh, a little bit on how to set your picture and projector up and so on. Uh, so let's wrap it up with uh, what's coming for review, Steve. Well, um, the next next week we'll be reviewing uh, the first of the LG TVs. So the LG uh, 47LB730 is coming in, which means we'll also be reviewing at the same time the their new web OS system that you had a look at uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in um, San Francisco, Phil. So that's our big upcoming reviews. Okay, and that wrap, wraps up hardware. We'll be back in a sec with games news. Uh, right, so some games news and uh, Nintendo Wi-Fi service shuts down for the Wii and DS titles market. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, um, this was one that kind of, it, 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 it was announced back, I think it was early April, but it was something that was kind of actually finally kind of coming to fruition just so we were recording the last potty. But it, it deserves a little mention in light of what we've been speaking about with regards, you know, physical media kind of dying and perhaps not having the same longevity. Um, the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection service for online games, basically the, the company that they were uh, using for their servers has uh, kind of run into difficulties. And so they're basically shutting down online play for all uh, Wii and DS titles. So there's a lot of kind of legacy content out there, stuff like the Mario Kart games, uh, uh, Pokemon, uh, Super Smash Brothers Brawl, um, that basically you, you, you're no longer going to have the same experience anymore and it's it's kind of sad that you know we we all joked about um the et cartridges coming out of the landfill in the desert but an intact cartridge of et that has been buried for 30 years will work more like it was originally intended to than a wii or ds title from you know five six years ago you see this is this is the worrying thing about everything moving to online servicing uh, whether that be film, whether it be games, whether it be extra content, whether it be stuff like the, anything that's not physical, that's got to be the main worry for certainly our generation because we're so used to having things in our hands that work and don't rely on online services to get extra features and so on. Well, hang on a second because it, this works on two levels. As the Luddite music fan of the of the podcast or indeed just the entire forums, I'm the only one. Um, the There's two stages to this. If the content is never yours and it's simply done on request, yes, this is genuine danger. With music and a number of other things, and I, as I understand it, Mr. Botwright can put me wrong if I've got the completely wrong end of the stick here, with like some of the Steam stuff and things like that, you, yes, it's a download, but you physically get hold of it. And it, it then exists... And to the extent where with, with some games, it's quite possible if the user group is determined enough that they can reset up online play, they can do whatever the hell they like with it if you've, you're physically in possession of, of, of the, the download. In so much as it's not the same as it simply being an on-request-based exercise. But no, it, it, as, as, as was said, it, it's kind of that licensed model where 
you know, say you don't necessarily own something. However, these, you know, these we're talking about a physical media that you have bought that, you know, you perhaps may have bought on the, the proviso that you wanted to be able to play multiplayer gaming. And, and it's something that, say, um, EA have been doing with the, with the FIFA titles. You know, if you own an old FIFA title, well, the servers have probably shut off for that. You know, even though, you know, because there's such a small amount of people using it. And at a given point, you will be deemed part of too, too small a group. You're, you're, you're in the minority then, and it's not worth the upkeep of servers and the like. Now, people have said, well, perhaps, you know, given the, the frankly monumental amount of money that Nintendo made on the Wii and the DS, that perhaps they could have, you know, sorted out their own servers, perhaps they could have sorted it out themselves, but by the same token, they do want to kind of shift people along, you know, they're, they're the victims of their own success in a sense, that they've had these kind of breakout products that everyone owns, and then no one's really migrating to the latest product they've got. But they're keeping online, uh, you know, web browsing, media services, such as, um, oh, uh, is there one called Netflix? <laughs> oh, what have we said about saying the n-word <laughs> uh, and they're keeping that kind of thing running so you know they still work in a sense but yeah it, it's always sad when you know there's the idea that perhaps in a kind of video games hall of fame or something there are certain cartridges that will work as they were intended and others where you know they're they're just basically half a title now I don't know. I've got to be honest. I mean, when I'm become supreme ruler of planet Earth, Mario Kart acolytes will actually be pulled apart by real go karts. It's the worst racing game in the history of the universe. So, no great loss. <laughs> what are you drinking tonight, Ed? Because you've gone. You're a depressive. You're a depressive no, drunk. I'm tonight. sorry. Ma- I hate Mario Kart. <laughs> I, I love racing games, and Mario Kart is not a racing game because you, it relies on blind we're, chance. We're just going to call you skill. Ed. Ed, I hate Sally. That's what I we're know. Well, call we, you. We, 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 we've got a podcast lined up near Christmas where it's just going to be. <laughs> yeah, maybe Christmas. We'll do, we'll do Ed, Ed's. Yeah, well, well, Ed, you know, it's, it's not Christmas yet, so lighten up, mate. All right. Okay. Come on. Sun is coming. Yeah. Mario Kart's great. It's not. Sorry, just isn't. Not even on the SNES? None of them. Uh, Getting back to the original point, there are other kind of uh, PC and console games that did use uh, GameSpy's service um, who will be affected by this, but it seems like a lot of them are kind of, you know, finding their own solutions. I know it sounds like a lot of the EA titles will be be fine. They're they're actually backing them and and keeping them up and running. So... um, you know, it, not everything is lost, but it is a, is a bit of a shame with regards to Nintendo. However, it should be noted that traditionally Nintendo, they have had to be kind of dragged kicking and screaming towards even the 20th century in terms of online connectivity. And I doubt the user base for online games amongst the Wii and DS at the moment is terribly large. No, I'm, I always assume that most of them are sort of sitting in the corner gathering dust now because people have moved on. As you said last week, Mark, have moved on to playing games on tablets. Yeah, and, and, and their online solutions were never particularly good anyway because the things like um, friend codes that, you know, who's, <laughs> who's remembering some kind of, you know, like eight-digit number or something in order to, to connect to someone? It just wasn't very good, you know, and people, as soon as the, the Wii was online, People were thinking about how they can connect up a PC to use Skype at the same time to get voice chat. You know, it, it, it was all fairly clunky anyway. I do remember some forum members diligently mentioning them and their SIG. They were keen. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there are still a lot of people who are, who are very much devoted to it, and there are a lot of people out there who who still feel that the Wii was, should we say, unfairly categorised as this, you know, mainstream machine for kind of women to play Wii Fit on and for grandma to to pretend to bowl with. Um, when you say a lot of people, Mark, do you mean you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was signed up to it. There was there were some fantastic kind of slightly off the wall games, you know, stuff like um, No More Heroes and, and, you know, some very kind of interesting little oddities that otherwise wouldn't have come about. And it should be noted that, you know, with regards motion controller and the way that Nintendo kind of brought things like the Wiimote into the public consciousness, I don't think we would be seeing the same strides to get towards a future of gaming where you will have virtual reality. Because one key thing with VR is the input method. It's something that people have been kind of struggling with for years, simply because it's so tough to create this idea of complete immersion. And at the same time, particularly with keyboards and and mice, to have like hotkeys and that kind of thing to see where it is. Because you can't see because you've got a damn great headset on. So, you know, it's, it's... it's something that they've had to try and find a solution for. And I think in some small way, Nintendo perhaps helped push the industry towards that. Yeah, all right, I will. They just need to they just need to be bought by Apple. They can join Beats and all the rest of it and just become a sort of empire of past glories. It'd be great. <laughs> you, really, you really have done, don't you? The old man sitting in the corner drinking and just full of joys of the world. Step down off the ledge. <laughs> Life's worth living. Mario Kart's great. Do you want to know something really bizarre? Obviously, um, it's just it just struck me as the full absurdity of this situation. Um, Apparently, I I may or may not sound different to people listening um, to the podcast this evening. I'm I'm actually using a a proper microphone for the first time in in God knows how long. Um, And I'd actually just rushed up with no pair of headphones. Um, So I've just had to jury rig uh my laptop going into uh another pair of headphones that are here for review they were mentioned earlier on they're, they're not being reviewed for any forums or elsewhere but um the uh, i'm actually listening to mark defend nintendo on uh, on a pair of uh, well all up it's it's seven thousand pounds worth of stuff there's three thousand odd on the headphones and then a big valve thing to make it work and I just strikes me as it's quite quite charmingly bizarre but yeah I am old and, fashioned and and it makes you sound like you're depressed <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? It's obviously, as I say, it's the flirting with death. I've got this this hundreds of is, volts is, on either side of my head. That's where it is. It's it's the electricity playing. If we playing hear a your... noise, <laughs> no, it's uh, the end of it. <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, that wraps up uh, games news for this week, and uh, we're still a couple of weeks away from another podcast, a games podcast. So we're going to move on quickly to movie news. Right, okay, uh, movie time. What's at the cinema, Steve? Uh, this week, Phil, I saw Pompeii, which I can best describe as Titanic meets Gladiator meets Dante's Peak. And I'm not kidding, that is the film. But I really enjoyed it. Um, like we talked about last week, it's just really entertaining and fun, which is all I want out of a movie. I mean, you know, it's got gladiatorial combat, it's got a bit of Roman action going on, it's got some really nice effects. It's <laughs> Roman action, is that a horrible <laughs> euphemism? <laughs> What he means is there's well well buffed up gladiators. But there is that for for Chris, yeah. Um, there, That's there, yeah. For you. It's it, no, it's it's just it's a great fun movie, and 
is shot natively in 3D by Paul W.S. Anderson. That's not to be confused with Paul Thomas Anderson, who's the actually classy director. Paul W.S. Paul w. Anderson, who made, um, among other things, Event Horizon and most of the Resident Evil movies. I think all the Resident Evils, actually. Um, yeah, uh, 3D in it is excellent. He really does know how to use 3D effectively. It's got, so, so it's a really good 3D movie. It's well made. It's great fun. It's got Keith Sutherland hamming up something chronic as the main villain, which is really enjoyable. It's got Kit Harrington in it, who plays Jon Snow in um, Game of Thrones as the main hero. There's also uh, Emily Browning as a sort of his love interest. And um, yeah, obviously everyone knows what happens. The, the mountain blows up. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It was great fun. Uh, and you know, that's all I want, just to be entertained for an hour and a half. And I was thoroughly. I'll give it eight out of 10. Have you, um, joking aside, not, not in a derogatory, I'm genuinely new to it. I haven't seen the film, but uh, I have read the Robert Harris book years and years ago. Um, and I, I did enjoy the book. I thought it was very good. I've enjoyed it's most like, of the Harris's It's not based on the book, is it? <laughs> I thought it was at least, in a skeletal form based on the, the Robert Harris. What happens you know. in the Robert Harris book? Apart well, from amazingly the, enough... Vesuvius blows up, obviously. Yeah. Don't spoil it. Well, <laughs> with, yeah, just on a very basic level, it, it, it just deals with a number of individuals and their, you know, their escape or otherwise from the events of Pompeii and Herculean in AD 43 or whenever it was that the, uh, the, the balloon went up, so to speak. Um, so well, well obviously it's based answer. upon his book, but certainly the film that I saw is, is is quite literally an amalgamation of key oh actual scenes and almost dialogue from um, Gladiator. Certainly, the first half is very reminiscent of Gladiator. Gladiator. There's a love interest, a la Titanic, doomed lovers, if you like, and then obviously um, there's the explode, you know, the volcano eruption, which. Um, has things like pyroclastic clouds, like in Dante's Peak. So it's kind of amalgamation of those three things. Not that's a bad thing. I mean, sometimes all I want to do is see a volcano explode, and I did, and that was the main thing. And it, and it looked really cool. And, and as I said, the three. What I really enjoyed was the three D was done really well, really effectively used, which is so rare these days. You see, I mean, everyone's been banging on about gravity, but I actually think that Paul W S Anderson is one of the best purveyors of three D movies going these days. And unfortunately, people don't appreciate that. Probably because of his bad reputation from some of the other dodgy movies, but certainly yeah, probably because he makes a load of shit. <laughs> well, no, I mean, yes, he's made some dodgy films in the past, <laughs> but certainly the last four he's done have all been three um, D, native three D, and have been very enjoyable. So you know, what, what the hell, you know, he was entertained. I wasn't, I wasn't bored, and, I, and he wasn't bothering with excessive, you know, um, um, exposition like in some other films we've been talking about. He was just got on with it, blew up a mountain, and killed everybody. Great. Wasn't he Austin Powers' boss? Basil Exposition. Yes. <laughs> oh, fine. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm really worried about you tonight, Ed. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about Blu-rays, what's released next week, Steve? Next week, we've got Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, directed by Kenneth Branner and starring um, oh, Christ, Chris Pine. Thank you, Chris Pine, and starring Chris Pine and Kevin Costner and Kira Knightley. And I've got to say, I actually I saw the cinema when it came out and really enjoyed it. It's a bit of an old school spy thriller. Um, it's got um, Kenneth Branagh himself playing the Russian villain, 
Um, it didn't do particularly well at the box office, so I got to think it's we won't see any more Jack Ryan movies, to be honest. But um, if nothing else, talking about it at least got me to go and listen to the commentary track on some of all fears that Ed recommended. That was <laughs> worth a <laughs> listen because it is mighty. really funny. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's out uh, next week. We've got Dallas Buyers Club out next week. I strongly recommend that you buy or, or rent this movie. I think it's absolutely superb. Oscar-winning performances from Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto. Uh, yep. Yeah, what certainly my pick of the week and the other thing getting a release next week is disney's sleeping beauty um which is obviously being re-released in order to time with maleficent which is coming out the week after but of those three films all are not bad actually all are pretty good but um in my mind it would go on dallas buyers club it's absolutely superb and definitely my film my blu-ray of the week if you like i think it's the first week where i'd watch all three to be mm, yeah quite actually is and usually there's some tat in there but those are all good movies Uh, right, so to wrap up uh, this week's podcast, uh, Steve posed a question last week. Uh, that... Oh, I didn't pose the question. Ed posed the question. Oh, that Ed was Ed, was it? Yes. Oh, All yes. oh, right. Okay. I, so, I'd, sorry. I wakened from my depression and, and talked <laughs> to think. Do you know what? I, I, I honestly wanted to discuss this. This was your okay. idea. Okay. Ed, well, so well you... it's, okay, Ed, your idea. You explain it, and off you go. Right. As we know, uh, books are. Uh, um, you know, they're a massive sort of mine of content to be turned into either television serial dramas or, or turned into films. Um, and as we know, this happens with varying degrees of success and 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 indeed faithfulness to the original content. Um, I mean, as an example, obviously, Apocalypse Now is loosely based on Heart of Darkness in as much as it involves a river and a man called Kurtz, but you couldn't say it's it's um, it's a, it's a, a, a frame by frame sort of uh, positioning of it. But I, I do love both things. Um, but it did get me thinking that I, I do see the strangest books being made into films. I'm thinking, why on earth are they bothered? When at the same time, we must all know a couple of books where you're thinking it's not that long. It's beautifully laid out. It doesn't do anything like blow up a galaxy, or although that's in some special effects these days. You could probably do that if you were minded to do so. And you're thinking, why has nobody made the plunge and and you know tried to make this into a film? And given it's my my challenge, my poison chalice, I, I I will start. And um, I know that Phil's out because he proudly announced in a recent podcast he doesn't read books. Do you eat them? Burn them? Uh, no, actually, I, I read the Radio Times, and funny enough, everything that's mentioned that gets turned into a TV programme or a film. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good point well made. Um, for me, it's a it's a reasonably old book now. It was released in the 90s, and it is uh, it was a, a writing partnership between Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, uh, and it's called Good Omens. And I love that book. I love it on a level I can't easily describe. It is at once... A perfect uh, partnership of what makes both of those authors great at the same time with them cancelling out some of the failings that they you might be, you know, if you were feeling uncharitable, you could say that they, they, they individually have. And it would just make one of those truly perfect, you know, made by film four or similar sort of British it's set in the UK. It could be done predominantly with the crop of UK actors that we have at the moment. And as far as I'm concerned, it, it's it's a no-brainer. It would be it done by someone who had any sympathy at all for the original material. It would be a truly extraordinarily good film. 
and uh, and yet we see all sorts of other stuff being done instead. That's the one that that, that stands out for me. I mean, I have others, but I, I I'd be happy to throw it up to, out to the floor first rather than me just monologuing. Well, since you mentioned tie up right, two writers writing a book, the book I've been waiting to see made into a film for nearly thirty years now was a a, a joint a join up between Stephen King and Peter Strauss called The Talisman which was bought, the film rights were bought when it came out in, I think it was 1984 or 85, by Steven Spielberg, and it still has not been made into a film, which is bizarre, because you think everything else Stephen King's ever written right down into, including his shopping list, has been made into a film, but somehow The Talisman remains unfilmed, even in this book that I really enjoyed. Um, so that's what would be one of mine. Uh, a book, I'd, oh well, it's a book that has been made into a film, but I'd like to see it be done again with modern effects, is Dune, because um, whilst I love David Lynch's film of Dune, it is very much David Lynch's version of the story and is bonkers. Do you uh, not believe that's honestly unfilmable, though? No, it's not unfilmable. I think it can be done, but it would be very expensive, and that's probably the problem, I think. Um, talking about I mean, plenty of unfilmable... I've seen at least three... Well, I've seen two films in the last um, um, six months that w- were made from, frankly, unfilmable books. So I, I think uh, Winter's Tale was an unfilmable book. They shouldn't have bothered trying. And the book thief didn't really translate very well to uh, to to the movies because you know it kind of it, it the fact it's narrated by death might work in a novel but doesn't work so well in, in, in an actual movie. Um, but I think June could be made into a great movie. You know, if if um, especially with modern effects. I'd also uh, if anyone wants to check it out, there's a documentary called Jodorowsky's June about the aborted attempt to make June into a movie in the mid-70s. Is that Andre the one with Salvador Dali? Yeah, consultant. Salvador Dali was going to be paying $100,000 a day to play the Emperor of the Known Universe. Um, Dan O'Bannon was doing the effects, and he hired H.R. Giger, who died sadly a couple of weeks ago, to do um, to design Giddy Prime. And Ridley Scott, when that film fell apart, Ridley Scott stole all those guys for Alien. So Alien would never have happened without Jodorowsky's Dune and certainly wouldn't have looked anything like it did. I mean, he basically just picked up all the same artists, Chris Foss, um, Mobius, Geiger, were all working on, on Jodorowsky's Dune and they all shipped, basically jumped ship to Alien when that one, that film went down. So again, very influential. And I'd love to see someone have another crack at Dune, to be honest. I don't know. It carries a long shadow and a bit of a stick. I mean, in so much as it, it, it it's sort of regarded as one of those sort of semi-cursed things that you don't, you don't <laughs> go near. But no, I do. I do emphasise it. It's a magnificent book. It's just in the context of how we do space films now, it's just peculiar. I'll leave it a peculiar because none of the other <laughs> none of the other adjectives are really sensible. But it's a it's a it's a funny universe. It's a it and you know, can you imagine? Obviously, part of the thing that makes the the, the David Lynch one. I mean, they they're just trying to explain without the long monologues the the nature of how spaceflight happens and and why why the universe is as it is, and that's not easy to do. Well, that's a challenge of adapting something, isn't it? Anyway, that that would that'd be. I mean, it has been filmed, obviously, uh, at least once. Plus, there's been a TV miniseries of it as well. But it would be nice to see someone have another crack at it. But the Talisman definitely is a book that's not been filmed. That's been optioned for at least thirty years by Steven Spielberg. And Mr. Spielberg, if you're listening, where's the film? Mr. Spielberg, if you're listening, okay, I might be on a depressive streak this evening, but I'm, I'm going to break <laughs> optimism on my part. I think that's unlikely. <laughs> I I honestly think that yeah, both. Both of you are falling down into the classic mistake of picking good books 
or books that otherwise fit the medium uh, that they were made. I, I think that there's there's a certain art in taking something that's slightly unpolished and something that perhaps would suit uh, the screen better. Stuff like Dune, I don't know whether it is possible. I think there's there are a lot of books out there that if they're ever going to make the screen, the only way you can do it would be miniseries, would be, you know, six hours minimum. Well, that's definitely the case for Stephen King's Dark Tower series, I think. That's exactly. That's talking about doing it as a series of films and HBO miniseries combined, which is well, interesting. Another, and another example of that is uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods, which apparently is now in production as a series, although that's been on and off as a room for God knows how long. And, and if they if they do that with any any degree of skill and and, and focus on the original book, that will be bloody marvellous. But certainly, if you look at Game of Thrones, that's been a phenomenal success for HBO in terms of adapting those novels into um, into ten ten hour series seasons. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that that's an example though of something that's kind of so wordy that you can't kind of condense that. Because to condense it, you're going to strip it of any meaning. You know, there's no point having a twist unless you've laid the groundwork suitably beforehand. And also, I think with certain things like kind of sci-fi, I mean, it still kind of does seem a little bit um, spectacular that something like 2001 was filmed. Because, you know, it's a lot about concepts. It's a lot about, you know, sci-fi kind of almost asks you to, to commit yourself to kind of think about these themes, which... In a book, you can kind of just stop, you can pause, you can kind of think about something. In a film, you, you've got to continue, you know, one minute rolls into the next. You know, I think sometimes some of the best um, adaptations are the kind of things where you could almost see someone writing it for the screen and doing what, say, a good editor would do for the book or perhaps should have done for the book. I know there are certain kind of novels that I've enjoyed that are, um, you know, the, the writer has a, has a good eye for, say, you know, what would make good screen violence or, or mood and that kind of thing, but just can't write dialogue. You know, there's a lot of expedi- exposition that you just think you could cut out 100 pages of this and you could have, you know, just just have moody shots and that kind of thing and just have it as pure story. Well, a classic example of that, if we're talking about not great books, but books I love, um, the unluckiest author in this regard is Clive Cussler. Because he's, of course, he's had two films of his books made. Uh, and one missed the point. Raise the Titanic is just utterly, <laughs> utterly joyless. Um, it has, it, 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 it completely misses the, the semi-fantastical nature of the book entirely. And Sahara, you know, featuring now the greatest actor that ever lived, Matthew McConaughey, um, isn't actually a bad film at all. But it took so long to do and cost so much money that it nixed that pretty much at the uh, at, at the outset. And if you've if you're familiar with, I, I would regard him as I think they are he is the king of airport fiction as as a as a genre. Some of those you could you could do magnificent things with those, especially if you actually didn't try and turn them into the present. You actually set them in the years they're supposed to happen in. Bloody marvelous! You could have a you could have a riot with most of those books because yeah again dialogue meaningless um he literally is up there with alan titchmarsh in uh, in worst written descriptions of sex ever um <laughs> were it not for the fact that he has two children you'd question whether he had actually had sex but um the books are magnificent for all of that and um yeah that, that's a classic example for me 
it also generated one of my favourite quotes. Whereas the Titanic, Titanic when um, Lou Grade, when, when the film went over budget, Lou Grade said it would have been it would have been cheaper just to lower the the Atlantic. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, of course, bad books can make great films because don't forget, if anyone's ever read Jaws, not a great work of fiction. <laughs> but it's an awesome movie. I know you haven't seen this, Ed. You're, you should really watch it. It's, it's a shocking mission in your film knowledge. It's on uh, saying, saying, saying goes for The Godfather. Bloody awful book, if you want my opinion. But a great set of movies. So, well, at least Godfather, part one and part two are a great set of movies. Interesting you mentioned 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, Mark, because the screenplay and the book were written simultaneously by Arthur C. Clarke and, um, and Stanley Kubrick. And I vastly prefer the film, having read the book as well. Whereas the the book over over explains stuff, the film just leaves it to your imagination, and I think that's a much better way of doing it. Yeah, I think you can get away with some of that in in kind of certain types of sci-fi. Um, but as I say, it, it all depends about context. I mean, there there are books that I greatly enjoy. Um, John Connolly does some uh, kind of horror noir books that have got some of the worst kind of cliche dialogue and some kind of filler material that makes you think you've just researched this and decided to write out the Wikipedia entry, haven't you? Uh, but, but the descriptions, so you can skim read like a complete page and just think, no, going to have no bearing, no bearing, no bearing. And then you suddenly get to actually something happening and, and the horror elements and the noir elements and the like. And it, he describes it so perfectly. And those are the kind of things that I just think, you know, someone could, you know, you could just literally tear out pages and you would almost create part of a, a screenplay from that just by ending up with, right, here are the kind of three dozen pages left from it. i tell you what, I'd love, I, I really wish The Golden Compass had been a hit because I'd love to see them try and make the other two books into films, particularly the last book where they go on a war against God. That would have been really, <laughs> get out of that one, son. <laughs> I, I pity the poor sod that would have to try and adapt that into a screenplay. Well, the interesting thing on on that note, I mean, it, that got me thinking of um, you know War Against God. Um, if anyone's ever read the the, the Preacher series of comic books, um, you know, there was a time where like anything comic book, graphic novel related was considered practically unfilmable. You know, if you think of the time before, you know, stuff like uh, Sin City and, and Three Hundred and, and uh, Watchmen and the like have, have really kind of shifted the focus there from you know you've had kind of aborted kind of absolute dross like the hellblazer um adaptation and and slowly that's that's become more and more credible to the point where now you know those seem like almost the most bankable films yeah poor alan moore has not had a good track record when it comes to adaptations of his stories is it really I, I don't think he, I don't think he must. Well, he certainly just feels that way. Although <laughs> yeah, well, he hated *Beef Vendetta*, and I thought that was a really good adaptation of the of the graphic novel. I thought it updated it uh, in a really clever and interesting way. As the Kowskis that did the adaptation, and I thought that was a really good movie. But Constantine, yeah, fair enough. Um, *League of Extraordinary Gentlemen*, yeah, absolute stinker. Fair um, excuse me, Ed. Yeah, I think *League of Extraordinary Gentlemen* stands out as. Um, Probably the greatest opportunity missed. Yeah, I, I was bizarrely though, that Watchmen was probably too reverential to the original material. Probably could have been more of an ad, loosely ad, ad, adapted and been better. I think it stuck to the graphic novel too closely. Um, well, suppose, oh hell, oh um, from from hell, hell. from hell. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I love the graphic novel and the look of the film is great, but Johnny Depp as Abilene is just ridiculous. <laughs> 
<laughs> and having him as a, as, a, as, a, as a clairvoyant as well, which is, oh, God. Um, so if you're, if you're any kind of ripperologist as, as I am, that film was a gigantic letdown, unfortunately. That would have been something that would have been... Ripperologist, yeah. That would have been a, a novel that, or graphic novel that would have made a great uh, miniseries, as you pointed out, where you could have spent much longer covering, because it's a huge graphic novel, you know, massively um, researched by Alan Moore, as all of his work is, um, and would have made an interesting um, um, miniseries, but by trying to cram it into a two-hour movie and, you know, amalg amalgamating characters, that sort of stuff, it just didn't work, unfortunately. Although it did look great. They really captured uh, the East End in the late 19th century. Uh, right, so that's the guy's thoughts on this. Uh, what do you think, what book do you think would make a good movie? What would you like to see made into a movie? Uh, leave your thoughts and suggestions on the podcast, underneath the podcast on the forums, or send your ideas and suggestions to podcast at avforums.com via the email. And sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. No, 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 this chicken's with me. Mark Botwright. Well, at least we get to see the carnival. And Ed Sally. Yeah, but I didn't think there was going to be the carnival. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for latest reviews, news and video. And why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.